Welcome to episode six of this season's Idiom America, uh, the first of this new year, 2023. Uh, already the fourth year of the 2020s, kind of hard to believe. Uh, but let's start off shark with an episode about blade idioms. Uh, we already dipped our toes into some blade idioms in the two prior episodes about cutting. Um, but those, along with uh, some episodes like double-edged sword, cutting the tension with the knife, got me thinking that there's got to be a lot more blade idioms out there that would be worth looking into. Um, let's start off first with the blade, uh, the sword. And the most famous sword that comes to mind for me, except for maybe Excalibur, is probably the Sword of Damocles. And this is, of course, an idiom that means a situation that threatens imminent harm or danger. Uh, if someone has the Sword of Damocles hanging over their head, they're in a situation in which something really bad could happen to them at any, any time. And this idiom dates back to an ancient moral parable that was popularized by the Roman philosopher Cicero in 45 B BC, where he tells the, the tale of uh, Dionysus, Dionysus, uh, the second, a tyrannical king who once ruled over the Sicilian city of Syracuse. And although Dionysus was rich and powerful, he was pretty unhappy. Uh, his iron-fisted rule had made him a lot of enemies, and he was tormented by fears of assassination, uh, so much so that he slept in a bedchamber that was surrounded by a moat, and he only trusted his daughters to shave his beard with a razor. And the king's dissatisfaction, unhappiness, came to a head one day when a court flatterer named Damocles was showering him with compliments and talking up how good of a life he had. And so Dionysus told him that if he liked it so much, he should try it on for himself and see how great it was. And when Damocles agreed, Dionysus seated him on a golden couch and ordered a whole host of servants to wait on him. And he was treated to succulent cuts of meat and... Uh, other goodies lavished with scented perfumes and ointments, uh, candles all around, pretty maid servants, etc. But just as Damocles was starting to enjoy the life of a king, uh, not believing his good luck, he noticed that Dionysus had also hung a razor-sharp sword from the ceiling, and it was positioned right over Damocles' head uh, and suspended only by a single strand of horsehair. And from then on, Damocles' fear for his life made it impossible for him to enjoy the good life. After looking at the blade dangling above him a few times, he asked to be excused, saying he no longer wished to be so fortunate as to live the life of the king. And interestingly, this parable of Cicero seems to have spawned another idiom as well, uh, to hang by a thread or hang by a hair, which also means to be in a risky or unstable situation, and it alludes to the horsehair that was holding up the sword of Damocles. And if I ever advanced far enough in the presidential idiom series, this would be a good one for President John F. Kennedy is one of the more famous uses of this one, uh, along with the sort of Damocles idiom, both in one quote, came in 1961 during the Cold War uh, when JFK gave a speech before the United Nations in which he said that every man, woman, and child lives under a nuclear sword of Damocles hanging by the slenderest of threads, capable of being cut at any moment by accident or miscalculation or by madness. And nowadays you hear this sort of Damocles idiom most often, it seems, whenever it comes to Congress lifting the debt ceiling. Uh, there's a faction in Congress that seems like they never want to lift that debt ceiling, and 
And then on the other side, you have a whole host of experts and economists that talk about how the debt ceiling limit is hanging over the economy's head like the sword of Damocles, and, and that if it's not raised, the U.S. will default on its debts and the world economy will go into shock with catastrophic results. And I, I don't think it takes much of a profit to predict that we're going to be hearing this idiom a lot in 2023 as the current House of Representatives will have to vote on raising the debt limit sometime in the summer. And that proves to be a, a spectacle. Uh, but if it doesn't get raised and economic chaos does ensue, the, the leaders who let it happen should fall on their swords and resign. Uh, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. And, and this idiom, fall on your sword, of course, means to take responsibility for something that has gone wrong, usually by resigning one's position. And this one goes back to at least ancient Rome, where it had the literal meaning of committing suicide by using one's own sword um, following a devastating defeat. And this one's literal use also goes back to the Bible, where King Saul is said to have fallen on his own sword when the Israelites were overrun by the Philistines and Saul's armor bearer was too terrified to comply with King Saul's instructions to take a sword and slay him. Uh, but surprisingly enough, the use of this one figuratively as an idiom is actually really recent, and it doesn't appear to have started until the latter part of the 1900s. And finally, another sword idiom that also has its origins in the Bible is to beat swords into plowshares, meaning to use one's resources for peace instead of war. Uh, from the King James Version of Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Uh, learning war anymore reminds me of the song of the great Pete Seeger, I ain't going to study war no more. Plowshare is a word you don't hear much anymore, but it's basically the cutting blade of a plow. And so the image of converting a blade used to slay a fellow human to instead till the ground is a pretty powerful one. Uh, there's also a bronze statue in the UN Garden in New York of a Soviet-looking guy holding a hammer in one hand and in the other a sword, which is beating into a plowshare. And it's, it's pretty striking, uh, somewhat intended there. If you want to look that one up, it's called Let Us Beat Our Swords Into Plowshares by Yevgeny Vucetich, and it was donated to the UN by the USSR in the Khrushchev era in 1959. And speaking of war, the, the Cold War in particular, we often hear the idiom rattle one saber, uh, meaning to make some flamboyant display or threat of military power. And this one has been popping up quite a bit recently with Russia's invasion of Ukraine as Russia's constantly rattling its nuclear saber, it seems, whenever it's displeased with the amount of aid that the world's providing Ukraine in response to Russia's unprovoked war of aggression. And you also hear this one sometimes in less physically violent, but nevertheless antagonistic contexts, like when somebody or some corporation threatens somebody else with the lawsuit. Uh, why, why a saber, though, and what exactly is a saber, anyway? And does it rattle more than other blades? Well, uh, saber is a cavalry sword with a curved blade and a thick back and a, and a guard on the handle. And it's associated with the light cavalry of the early modern warfare period, which is the area of warfare that followed medieval warfare, and it began in the late 1500s. And the saber became particularly widespread for the first time in the Thirty Years' War that 
was fought from 1618 to 1648, primarily in Central Europe, where an estimated five to eight million soldiers and civilians died, uh, with some areas of what's now Germany losing 50% of their population, just devastating, destructive stuff. Um, and the word saber appears to be ultimately Hungarian in origin, and Hungarian hussars did much to spread the use of the saber. And something that that's where the uh, idiom saber rattling comes from, from 18th century Hungarian cavalry units brandishing their sabers at opponents prior to charging. And others have said that it comes from the habit that military officers had in the early 20th century of ominously shaking their scabbard when issuing orders to subordinates. But it seems that the two words began to be used together uh, in fixed fashion like this around 1880, making it unlikely that it was directly related to either of these. But uh, sabers apparently did make a rattling noise, as you can find plenty of literal references to that. And I think that's got to be due in large part to the fact that it was the cavalry that employed these sabers and, and lots of stuff rattles around when you're on the back of a trotting, galloping horse. Um, but it, it seems like it's uh, way past time for uh, humanity to um, stop rattling its sabers and bury the hatchet forever. Uh, or as Indian Prime Minister Modi told Putin recently, this is not the era for war. But it seems like there's always another axe for a country or leader to grind, uh, depressingly. And that first idiom, bury the hatchet, of course, means making peace with an enemy or resolving or putting aside an argument or fight. And it comes from the practice seen among the Native American tribes in North America of literally burying a hatchet. And although these hatchet-bearing ceremonies no doubt took place long before uh, Columbus, uh, the only surviving records come from European accounts, uh, with an early one being from the French Jesuits in 1644 when the Iroquois visited Quebec and showed their wish to unite all the nations of the earth by hurling the hatchet so far into the depths of the earth that it shall never again be seen in the future. And the first English mention comes from the Judge Samuel Sewell, who would later become notorious for presiding over the Salem witch trials. And he wrote in 1680, I write to you of the mischief the Mohawks did. It came to an agreement and buried two axes in the ground, one for English, another for themselves, which ceremony to them is more significant and binding than all articles of peace, the hatchet being a principal weapon with them. It wasn't long before the settlers latched onto the phrase and used bury the hatchet as a figurative call for peace. Uh, in the 1785 Treaty of Hopewell, Colonel Benjamin Hawkins wrote, the hatchet shall be buried forever. And in 1761, a burying the hatchet ceremony took place between the British and Mi'kmaq tribe in Nova Scotia. And there's also the companion idiom, take up the hatchet, which means to begin or resume hostilities or to prepare for or go to war. Uh, kind of like picking up or taking up the gauntlet or the cudgels. And I, I wonder if the use of hatchet here instead of tomahawks is a bit of a misnomer because... While a hatchet is a small axe that's used mainly for chopping and field work, a tomahawk is used more for throwing in battle. Uh, hatchets being more plowshares, tomahawk swords, if you will. Uh, in Ambrose Bierce's 1881 The Devil's Dictionary, uh, he defines hatchet as a young axe known among Indians as a Thomas hawk. And he also includes this little ditty. 
uh, that I'll read, just give you a flavor of the times. Oh, bury the hatchet, irascible red, for peace is a blessing, the white man said. The savage concurred and that weapon interred with imposing rights in a white man's head. At any rate, a tomahawk might even do a better literal hatchet job than a hatchet. And an idiomatic hatchet job is, of course, an unfair attack on someone, especially a written attack. Uh, malicious criticism meant to hurt someone's reputation, a hit piece, a slam piece. So a newspaper article or a prince's tell-all memoir that reveals secrets and exaggerates flaws is often described as a hatchet job, uh, basically misrepresenting or maligning someone in a public way. And this phrase comes from the earlier idiom, hatchet man, uh, where a literal hatchet job was a murder carried out by the hatchet man, who was a hired Chinese assassin who used a hatchet or a cleaver. And this one arose in the 1870s and 80s in California, with one of the first instances coming from an article titled Traffic in China Women, which described how Chinese women were imported, quote, and sold as prostitutes in San Francisco. And when describing the Hip Yi Tong Company, the most infamous Chinese organization in the city, so powerful that no Chinaman dare disobey its mandates that uh, engaged in this trade, it described the company as having its hatchet men, the, quote, executioners of the company, who, if the woman doesn't do as she's told, tries to run away, the hatchet men will kill her. And it wasn't just with, with respect to the prostitution trade that hatchet men were used. Uh, from an 1876 testimony before the California Senate, hatchet men were described as fighting men, a class of men in Chinatown that can be hired to defend any house or store that is threatened and will cut and kill indiscriminately. And then from further testimony, we get question, why are they called hatchet men? Answer, a great many of them carry a hatchet with the handle cut off may be about six inches long with a handle and a hole cut in it. They have the handle sawed, sawed off a little, leaving just enough to keep a good hold. These are called among the China men, bad men or hatchet men. Thus, the original sense of uh, hatchet job, also uh, hatchet work, was a murder carried out with a hatchet or cleaver by a hired Chinese assassin. And the earliest instances of hatchet work or hatchet job referred specifically to murders that were carried out by Chinese immigrants in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And it's right about this time that the term started to be used idiomatically as well. Finally, you also hear this one uh, sometimes used in its alternative idiomatic meaning of something that imposes deep reductions in expenditure. So a piece of legislation that imposes deep spending cuts across the board could sometimes be called a hatchet job. And I think this one ties into that other idiom where you talk about using a scalpel, not an ax, uh, making narrow and targeted cuts instead of these broad cuts. And also worth mentioning while we're on the subject of hatchets is hatchet faced. And it's questionable whether this qualifies as an idiom, but it's still a vivid term uh, as an adjective used to describe someone who has a thin, hard and unpleasant face. Well, we have some blades still to look at, uh, axes, saws, knives, daggers, uh, but that'll do for now. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Wishing you and the world peace uh, with no twisted knives, rattling sabers, and falling axes in the year to come, but buried hatchets and plow blades instead of swords.